Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Yes Men, our 10th episode spectacular. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is my co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Doug Williams on the ones and twos. And our 10th episode, we're going to celebrate with a little Brooklyn Nets season preview. This is exciting. I, I, well, we have like a, a little surprise coming on Friday, which we, we hope works. Today, though... Cross your fingers. <laughs> today is happening. I mean, this is going to happen. This is it. We are doing... Uh, this is our 10th episode. We we haven't gotten banished or fired yet. This is going well. I got, I got to ask real quick. What, what's your favorite moment from the first nine episodes? Let's do a little retrospective. Uh, I think the rental car thing was good. That was a good debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved having Jack Curry on the show. Always, a, um, always a good. That was a call. really, that was a really good uh, interview. And in general, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just thrilled to be a part of this thing. And I think, I think it's going really well. I am happy that our show's on iTunes. Everybody can subscribe, and and you don't necessarily need to to go somewhere to find it. The best thing about podcasts is that they find you if you subscribe to them on iTunes. They automatically download on your phone. So, again, do that. Shame, shameless plug. Yes, do that. <laughs> but also subscribe, rate, and review. So if you think that we're doing anything wrong, or you think we're doing something right, tell us. And uh, give us four or five stars. Give us one star if you feel like that way. But I hope you don't and you shouldn't and shame on you. And you can find us on Twitter, too, and let us know how we're doing. Lou DiPietro, yes. Doug Williams, yes. So we're accessible. We like to talk. Um, Speaking of, before we get into the net season preview, we do have to cover the one thing that's still going on in baseball. That is the World Series. We've talked about it at length for the last couple weeks. As we tape this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, it's 3-2 Red Sox headed back to Fenway for Game 6 on Wednesday night. And Michael Walker is going to need to be 5-0 and in the postseason to keep his Cardinals alive and get it to the Game 7 we both think it's going to go to. Oh, by the way, we I, not we, i got to take credit for that, I screwed up our picks. Yeah, I didn't say anything last week because realistically we both picked somebody in 7, so for the sake of kind of... The I don't want to say journalistic integrity, but for the sake of, of discourse, we kind of both went opposite ways. But I, I honestly did think at the beginning of the season, or the series, I should say, the cards were going to take it in seven, and you thought the Red Sox would go in seven, but you kind of, kind of tossed we that could, up. But. Well, we could both – none of us can be right on, in game six. <laughs> That's true. Neither one of us can but be right. We can we, both one of us can wrong. be half right, right. I guess. Um, but this has been a series that one game has ended on a pickoff – one game has ended on an obstruction call at third base. You know, Koji Uihara has been lights out. David Ortiz has been unconscious. And yet the Cardinals haven't necessarily been out of any game so far. I, I've been reading a lot, and uh, especially on Twitter, about, and I don't want to go too much into this, but about David Ortiz and, and whether or not we are supposed to be skeptical of this. And, you know, it's the PEDs issue. Uh, we've seen that come up in the past with him. Now he's older. Uh, after a few years where we thought maybe he was declining, he now looks better than ever. He's thinner and more in shape than ever, which I think is the number one cause for all this. Absolutely. Um, so He's healthy. Right. And it's not like he's 42. He's 37, which makes a difference. As much as I, as much as I understand the people that are skeptical, uh, the this is wasted energy. It's wasting energy to be skeptical of people because, yes, we've gone through an era where you can't trust anybody. But at the same time, for now, 
there's no point wasting your breath and wasting your energy wondering whether this guy is, is is cheating when in reality he's making things happen on the baseball field that in a way that I don't know if I've ever seen before in a World Series. You might just rather want to enjoy it than, right. question, enjoy than it. question it. I mean, because the, the chances are it's legitimate. And if, if Poppy was using PEDs earlier in his career – he probably isn't now. He probably learned his lesson. And I have two words to say to anyone who wants to keep harping on the David Ortiz PED things, and it's Derek Jeter. And here's why I say those two words. Everyone thought Derek Jeter was done in July of 2011 when he was struggling. He was getting old. Whatever they wanted to say about him. He went on the DL after you know hurting himself in that game in Cleveland on my birthday. I was there. It was kind of disappointing. And he went on the DL. He came back a couple weeks later. He was healthy. He got his 3,000th hit off David Price and didn't stop hitting until he broke his ankle in the playoffs. Nobody said a word about Derek Jeter because that's you know the way Derek Jeter is. So it's 100% entirely probable, possible, likely, whatever adjective you want, that David Ortiz, finally healthy after dealing with the Achilles, he's slimmed down, he's adjusted his game, and he's always been a great hitter. So stop it. Save your energy. Enjoy what you're seeing out of the entire series. Even if you hate the Red Sox, like 99.9% of Yankees fans will say, oh, God, we hate the Red Sox. It's understandable. It's the best rivalry in sports. Stop wasting your energy. Enjoy it. And if something is up with David Ortiz, it will come out eventually. And wait to talk about it then. Well, there's uh, – Sorry, I went off on a rant. There, there's Lou's input there, a strong opinion. That's what we're all about here at the Yes Men. And he's exhaling. Wow, you I felt can, like I needed a reset there. You're sweating. You're, you're sweating it's profusely. A, it's a little warm in here today. I wore a sweatshirt and the temperature went up. I don't know what's going on. All right. So uh, it's, it's been a really interesting series thus far. Thus far, it feels like it has to go seven. I, I you know, we'll see what happens. Um, so that's all you can say about that. I, I'm done predicting. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm just done. I know that I, you know, we have a podcast, and part of what we're supposed to do is predict. And, and a little later, we're going to predict the next season. But baseball is is a different animal, and there's just there's nothing you can do. But I think we have to switch gears now. We definitely do. And- and uh, the Brooklyn Nets season, as we said, begins Wednesday night. This is a Brooklyn Nets preview episode, and it's a very exciting year in Brooklyn. Um, Ian Eagle even said in 20 years he's been doing this, this might be the most anticipated season he's ever seen, and that includes the team that went to back-to-back finals. That includes the Hello Brooklyn season. That includes the debacle that was the Butch Beard era. Uh, you know, So this is going to be – this is it. They know their window is now – and it's up to the Nets to take advantage and make sure that window doesn't get slammed shut on them. Yeah, what more can you want in a storyline? You have a first-time head coach, Jason Kidd, who was just a New York Nick, who's now the head coach of their team. You have Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry coming to another team in the Eastern Conference in the Brooklyn Nets from the Boston Celtics. And you have returning stars like Brooke Lopez, Darren Williams, and Joe Johnson that really put together a starting five that is that is as complete as any team in the NBA. Luckily with us today, we have three guests scheduled, our first of which is Michael Scotto. Yeah, Michael Scotto from SheridanHoops.com covers the Knicks and Nets, and uh, he can kind of shed some light on something, I think, as well that a lot of people aren't talking about, and that, you know, Pierce, Terry, Garnett, they're kind of Knicks agitators, and now they're part of the city rivalry. It's, you know, like, I don't know, maybe, you know, someone who might agitate the Red Sox coming to the Yankees, kind of almost in in a way, and... uh, 
I, I'd, I'd like to hear what he has to say about that. So uh, with us now, Brooklyn's own Michael Scotto, a good friend of the program. Michael, Lou DiPietro, Doug Williams, the Yes Men. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, fellas. Always great to be on with you guys. So as we said, you spent a lot of time at Barclays last year, and you're going to spend a lot of time there this year. And just in seeing the preseason so far this year, what do you think is the biggest difference between the 2013-14 Nets compared to last year's team? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, their leadership. And more importantly, you can be a leader in two ways. You can do it um, by example. You could do it vocally. And I think Pierce and Garnett do that in both ways. Uh, you see Garnett bringing a bit of a more defensive intensity that this team lacked last season. And he's even starting to rub off a bit on Brooke Lopez, who is a very talented individual, but at times he's not considered one of the most tenacious players in the NBA, but I think Garnett is starting to rub off on him. And the other biggest difference is just the overall talent level and the depth of this team. This team uh, is the only team in the NBA that brings four double-digit scorers from the previous season and a double-digit rebounder uh, in Reggie Evans. So the depth of this team and the quality of this team has been improved immensely in such a short span. And, Michael, in terms of the, the three players that obviously have been acquired from the Celtics, do you think that the uh, impact of those three guys is, is equal in terms of their ability to actually play basketball and their ability to kind of create a, a dynamic in, in the locker room, kind of uh, a soul to the team? Well, I think when you're talking about their ability on the court, uh, they're not going to be asked to play heavy minutes and carry the team on their back. Uh, in this case, you're looking for Garnett to play roughly 25 uh, quality minutes, maybe 30 max to, uh, as you get towards the playoffs. And likewise with Paul Pierce, Terry coming off the bench isn't expected to play huge minutes. So you're going to see efficiency, I believe, out of these three guys in what may be limited minutes compared to the prime years of their career. But I think you're going to maximize what you have in these three guys because of that. And also, when you look at guys like Arnett, you can come off the bench with Andre Kirilenko, who is essentially a Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything. He can, he can score, he can rebound, and he can facilitate as well. And also you have guys like Alan Anderson coming off the bench, even if Terry's hurt one game or needs a break on a back-to-back. And, again, you have Evans and – you have Blatch that can also play some power forward minutes as well as center. So I just think that they have the perfect blend of veterans, and they also have uh, just a nice, a nice balance overall where they don't have to stretch them uh, more minutes than should be expected at their advanced ages at this stage of their career. You know, it's funny you mentioned the bench. In your preview with uh, the things to watch for the Nets, you said that they may have you know the deepest bench in the league, and you just mentioned a handful of guys who could realistically start for a handful of teams in the NBA. Who on that bench this year? I don't want to say is the key, but you know who is going to be the linchpin to that bench. I mean, Terry can do so many things. Kirilenko can do so many things. The big guys behind Lopez and Garnett will be huge, especially as Garnett's minutes are kind of. You know, shuttled around. Who's going to be the guy that really makes that second unit tick? I think the guy that would make the second unit click is Kirilenko because, again, as I mentioned earlier, he is the Swiss Army knife of that group. He can play uh, power forward and small forward, and I think that you need that versatility. Uh, in the case of Terry, Terry is 
pretty much strictly a shooting guard at this point in his career. He's not as uh, much of a ball handler as he used to be. But with Kirilenko, when you go up against guys on a nightly basis in the Eastern Conference against guys like Paul George, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, even Luol Deng to a lesser extent, you know, the top teams that you're going to be competing for with a championship, Kirilenko, AK-47, is going to be guarding those guys. And he's going to give them the most versatile defender that they've seen, I would say, at his size and height, probably since uh, Meta World Peace, formerly Ron Artest, in his prime. So, Michael, obviously you do some Knicks and some Nets. And, and with KG and Pierce in Brooklyn and Jason Kidd as the coach, what do you see on the horizon for that rivalry between the Knicks and the Nets? Well, I'll never forget what Jerry Stackhouse told me last year. I used to sit with him and a couple times before the game, and he would say to me, uh, you know, Mike, there's a little bit of extra mustard on these games. And, and he was right. There, there, was, there was always a little bit of extra mustard. These, these two teams... From the day that the Nets moved to Brooklyn and Mikhail Prokhorov put the billboard up and said that we're going to convert Knicks fans to Nets fans, the line was drawn in the sand. And the Nets are attempting to cross over that line. And I think because New York has always been a Knicks town for so long due to the history, but I think now, at least on paper, I would say pretty much everyone is in agreement that the Nets are the better team on paper. And so when you have two teams competing for ultimately a championship, you're going to have a natural clash. What makes this even better uh, in terms of a rivalry, to truly bring out a rivalry aspect in somewhat of a hatred form the way it used to be with the Yankees and the Red Sox, if you want to compare, is that you have Garnett who had the Honey Nut Cheerios scandal with the Carmelo Anthony. He also injured his shoulder, which caused Carmelo to possibly contemplate surgery in the offseason. Then you have Jason Terry, J.R. Smith's favorite agitator, and he elbowed him. And then J.R. Smith's postseason kind of went spiraling down. Paul Pierce, he's been the closest thing to a New York Knicks assassin since Reggie Miller when he was wearing the Indiana Pacers jersey. So I just think that you have all the ingredients to really make for a great storyline, not to mention that Carmelo Anthony is a free agent after this year. And, you know, we, we have our suspicions of what could happen with him, but you don't know for sure. So it puts an extra bit of emphasis on every game. And Lord knows that last year even they were so competitively close. The, the plus-minus differential between wins and losses was very slim, and I expect that to be even more intensified this season. All right. Well, before we let you go, Mike, I got to put you on the spot. I know you're a Brooklyn guy uh, by birth, and I know you're uh, you're covering both teams. So I got to put you on the spot. Knicks versus Nets. Who wins the division? How far do you think either team goes? I think for the division, I would say that the Nets would win the division because they have the depth. Whereas the Knicks, if they have injuries here and there, there's there's more question marks with Bariani, uh, even Meta World Peace to an extent. Uh, they've looked a little rusty with their shots in the preseason, and uh, you know you need Jr. to to sit out those five games. Those five games could make a difference at the end of the season. So, as far as where both teams would advance going forward, I, I think you have the Nets somewhere in the top four with a home court advantage. Uh, the Knicks may sneak in there as the fourth if Indiana struggles as they did up to the All Star break last season, but I believe the Knicks could be out 
in the first round, and the Nets could make it to the conference finals depending on matchups. And if they have everyone healthy against the Heat, and again, that's a big if because they're a much older veteran team, they will give Miami a run for their money. Uh, there's no question in my mind. And I think that they could beat them, but it all depends on health. Well, that would be quite a, quite a story if Brooklyn were the team to knock off the potentially three-peating Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Michael Scotto of SheridanHoops.com, thank you very much for coming on the Yes Men, and we will uh, we'll see you around Barclays this season starting on Friday. Thanks a lot, Michael. Looking forward to it, fellas. See you guys soon. And that was Michael Scotto of SheridanHoops.com. You can check out his uh, his work over there covering the Knicks and the Nets this season. We'll see him a lot around Barclays Center, I'm sure. Uh, good friend of the program there, so we thank him for coming on. And one of the things I think, Doug, that resonated that he said is something a lot of people have been kind of trumping up in that if the Nets have everyone healthy, they can give the Heat a run for their money, whether it's in the Eastern Conference Finals or depending on how the matchups go, maybe even the semifinals if it's kind of a 1-4 matchup. And you saw what the Pacers did in the Conference Finals last year. You know, the Bulls weren't really much of a match in that second round because they were kind of decimated. But you saw what the Pacers could do and even what the Spurs could kind of do with that veteran lineup knowing, managing minutes. And I don't know if maybe Jason Kidd might want to take a sort of a template from Greg Popovich last year, but it seemed to work very well what he did in San Antonio. Yeah, you know what's going to be interesting in the Eastern Conference, especially in the playoffs this year, is that the Heat really haven't played on the Eastern Conference side a team with a good point guard. And now they're going to be bombarded with that with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, a team with a loaded starting five that has good players at each, each position, not to mention one of the best point guards in the NBA. So it's really going to be uh, Derrick Rose and the Bulls with a team with a loaded starting five and a good point guard. And I think the Nets with Darren Williams and, and, you know, the rest of the crew. So it's going to be a challenge for the Heat, I think, to get out of the East. And I, I don't see why you can, you know, count out the Nets. I think they're a very good team. You mentioned Derrick Rose. Yeah, after one game on opening night there against the Heat, you kind of saw what he did his first game in, you know, a year and a half, realistically, because he hasn't played since the playoffs two years ago. Struggled a little bit. You know, his his turnover ratio, assist turnover ratio was sub one, which is probably a first for Derrick Rose. But, you know, he's feeling his way back. The the Heat kind of didn't put him away till the end. You know, they made a run there in the fourth quarter. And so with with the Bulls healthy again, the Nets the way they are, the Pacers, if and when Danny Granger comes back, which is one of the things that Jim Spinarkle said in our season preview series, that, you know, Granger's going to miss the first few weeks, and he missed almost all of last year. But he kind of brings a new element to that team. There's a lot of – the Eastern Conference is very top-heavy with four and maybe five teams, depending on how you feel about the Knicks, that can kind of sneak in there in anywhere between the one through five spots. And then after that, it's kind of who goes where and what happens. And the first round should be very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, I think if if, if the Brooklyn Nets had had their roster this year last year, I still wouldn't have given them, them the advantage because at the beginning of last year you didn't question – Dwayne Wade's health. Right. Uh, you didn't question Chris Bosch's age or anything like that. Yes, LeBron is at his best right now, but it's not the big three anymore. The Heat, in my opinion, won't win again this year. I don't think they'll win uh, the championship. I think it's possible that they won't get out of the East. I think if they do get out of the East, they'll win a championship, though. I don't think there's anybody out West that has the toughness to beat the Heat. They've, um, beat, they've beaten the Thunder. They've beaten the Spurs. They gave the Mavs a heck of a time when the Mavs were a team in 2011. So it's kind of like they've run through the gamut out there already, kind of yeah. like the Bulls did in the 90s. If the Clippers had a shooter, uh, a legitimate go-to scorer, I would say that, that was their, that's their best chance. But 
Um, that's their biggest competitor, but it just I, I don't see it. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the the bottom line is you can be a huge NBA fan. And it still doesn't matter. You have to take these early games with a grain of salt. So Derrick Rose last night means nothing. I mean, yes, it's a loss, and there's 82 games, and every game is important. But it really, you, you got to give the guy a few weeks to get back into the rhythm of things. I mean, I forget who tweeted it yesterday, but it was so interesting. Dwight Howard was with the Magic when Derrick Rose last played. You know, it's it's just it's true. Yeah. So. You just and LeBron didn't have a ring when Derrick Rose last played. Also true. So give the guy a chance. The Eastern Conference is going to be really interesting. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get our next guest on the horn. It's someone who predicted the Heat to three-peat and win their next NBA championship. And that next guest is one of our uh, one of our colleagues, a Yes Network partner, the managing editor of thebrooklyngame.com, uh, Devin Carpertian. Devin, welcome to the Yes Men podcast. Lou DiPietro, Doug Williams, glad to have you. Glad to be here. It's uh, another great season about to start this year. This will be my, uh, my fourth year covering the team, the second doing it full-time, and I, I've been a fan of the next my life, and I've never been more excited for a season uh, than I am for tonight. Well, let's, uh, let, let's ask you uh, the first question, same question we asked Michael Scotto. The season's about to tip off. You've seen the few preseason mm-hmm. games the Nets have played. What do you think so far is the biggest difference you've seen with this year's team than from last year's team? Well, I think it's the energy, uh, specifically in practices, and that all starts with Kevin Garnett. I mean, the way that he, the way that he approaches a practice is like life and death, like a player I, I haven't seen in my few, my admittedly few years covering this team. He'll treat every drill like it's the end of his life on the line if he doesn't get it right, and even if he does get it right, he's still disappointed. And that kind of energy is feeding off of everybody else. And so if you see them in the defensive drills, everyone is talking. Everyone is more vocal, more active. Um, you know, people are flying across the floor in these practices like they didn't do last year. So I think that's just a specific energy that's very, very different already. And then you get down to this, just to, to playing out the shooting ability of this roster. You have Paul Pierce, who's one of the best above-the-break shooters in the league, replacing Gerald Wallace, who had a lot of trouble last year. You have Reggie Evans going to the bench, and Kevin Garnett is now taking his spot. Uh, it's one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. So I think those are the two big differences to me, is just the energy defensively that stems from Kevin Garnett and just the ability to put the ball in the basket like in the way they just couldn't do last year at the end, at the end of the playoffs. And, Devin, in terms of those guys that came over from Boston, is, is, is their importance equal on the floor as it is kind of in the, in the locker room in terms of having an identity to this team that maybe they didn't have last year with that roster? You know, I generally think comments about teams' identity are a little overblown. It really depends. you got to put the ball in the basket no matter what your identity is. Um, but in the case of, you know, guys like Garnett and Pierce, there is something very tangible to what they bring to this team. You can already sense it, you know, like I said, in practices and talking to their teammates. They ooze about playing with these guys. Um, you know, Kevin Garnett, again, is one of those guys that you put him on the floor and he just commands a certain respect that, you know, um, Gerald Wallace just couldn't do last year for whatever reason. And even Darren Williams and Joe Johnson, they're different types of leaders. So to have a guy like Garnett to kind of balance that out has made a pretty big difference. But I do think at the end of the day, uh, the encore stuff is going to matter more than anything else. If Kevin Garnett is not hitting mid-range shots, if Paul Pierce has you know, finally lost that step that he never seems to lose, you know, that's going to make the biggest difference. But it's definitely true that they have made a significant culture change. Uh, this just feels like a code switch night and day from last year. 
Now, you guys did a whole season preview over at the Brooklyn game, as we did, and your entire team picked Brooke Lopez to be the, the team's scoring leader, and you also yourself picked him to be over on seven and a half rebounds. What is it about Lopez this year, or the offense that they're going to run, or, or just the general situation of the team? What is it that kind of leads you and everyone to believe that, that this is going to be the Brooke Lopez show? Well, first of all, Lopez is an incredibly talented scorer, and he's got guys around him who can find him for easy buckets. And I think that's the biggest deal. He had such a great connection with Darren Williams last year, and now he's got guys in um, you know, Kevin Garnett, who's a very good passer out of the high post. You've got Paul Pierce, who had a lot of distributing duties last year. You know, they're going to be able to find him for those easy little buckets where he's cutting to the basket right behind the defender on so many occasions this season. Um, you know, Lopez led the league in plays that were classified as cuts last year. Uh, just because he had so many of those easy little shots at the basket created by Darren Williams. If you add on a guy who can you know, pass a little better than Reggie Evans and Gerald Wallace, and you've got even more opportunities for him to score. Now, I don't think the offense is going to flow directly through him all the time. I think you'll see a lot of plays designed for him because you've got to get your big men the ball. Um, I do think the offense is going to be a little more free-flowing most of the time. It's hinted at a motion offense, kind of like what San Antonio runs, you know, kind of, you know, very, um, you know, very balanced. But at the end of the day, you know, Brooke Lopez is the kind of guy where, you know, he's, he's going to have nights where he can drop 26, 27 points, you know, on 9 and 12 shooting. And you might not even know that he did it because he's just dropping in these little easy dimes. Um, and I think, you know, this Nets team is constructed to get the best shot on the floor as, as much as possible. And usually the best shot on the floor is one that's close to the basket. And Brooke Lopez is as good as anybody in the league at making that shot. So- as far as rebounds go... He's not playing with Reggie Evans anymore. And, you know, Lopez did a lot of the boxing out while Reggie Evans kind of swooped in and got some rebounds. But now Garnett is going to be playing away from the basket a lot, you know, when he's doing cross, which is on defense or playing mid-range jumpers. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities now for Lopez to get more rebounds. He might not become a much better rebounder overnight, but he's just going to have more of these opportunities to actually get more rebounds, which is why I chose the over on that one. So the one thing we do know, or one thing that we definitely know about the Nets team, Devin, is that it's incredibly deep. So a rookie coach and Jason Kidd has, you know, 10 guys that he can trust on the floor. Which player do you think is the biggest X factor for the Nets this season? Uh, well, I have to say, um, as far as the bench goes, it would definitely be Andre Kirilenko. If he's healthy, he can play so many positions. The guys, every time we t- I, I've asked a bunch of the guys about Andre Kirilenko because he's a guy who I think is really a glue guy in the squad. And they always say the same thing. They say he's a one-to-five player because he can guard point guard, he can guard center, he can guard everything in between. He basically just goes out there and you throw him at whoever he wants, and he'll just he'll take care of it. You need somebody to guard LeBron James, he's got you. You need somebody to bang with David West, he's got you. Uh, he's the kind of guy who can almost shape-shift into whatever they really need him to be in this offense. Um, so I think he's going to be a major key, especially because they're going to need to rest Kevin Garnett a lot of games. They're probably going to want to rest Paul Pierce. They might want to give Joe a rest because Joe played an inordinate amount of minutes last season and killed his feet by the end of the year. Um, so I think he's going to be a key. Uh, I also think uh, an under-the-radar guy, I think, you know, Carolyn goes more of an obvious choice, is Sean Livingston, who has looked unbelievably impressive for a backup point guard uh, in preseason. I've been a huge fan of his game ever since I've seen him come in. I wasn't sold on him originally, but, but you know, the way he's played in preseason, the way he's adapted to the offense, the way he's adapted to playing with the starters, uh, and his athleticism is, is back in a way that, you know, you may not have seen, you know, three, two or three or four years ago because of his injury. So I think those two guys are going to be very, very key to this team's uh, success off the bench. And I think Kirilenko has a real shot at winning the six-man-of-the-year award. A lot of people are uh, kind of on Kirilenko for that same thing once he gets back on the court. And, he you know, he's just such a versatile player with so much experience that I, I kind of agree with with you and all of them that Kirilenko is the guy. That said... 
the Nets bench, the great starting lineup, we don't know how far it'll take them, and we won't until April or May, but I know it must have hurt for you as a lifelong Nets fan. You uh, you kind of picked the heat to win it all, beat the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals in your Brooklyn game prediction. So last question we have for you before we let you go is, what do they need to do to beat the Heat? I mean, part of it is just plain luck. I mean, there's some things that you just can't control in the basketball court. You know, they have to, you know, hope that, um, you know, some some balls bounce their way on some nights. Um, I do think they are equipped to potentially beat the Heat in a seven-game series. I don't think it's likely. I wouldn't call them the favorites. Um, but they do have a couple of significant advantages over the Heat. And the first one is size. They've got a huge lineup top to bottom. They've got two seven-footers in their starting lineup. They've got a seven-footer in Andre Blatt coming off the bench. Andre Karolenko is, I think, 6'9", with a huge wingspan. Sean Livingston is the 6'7", backup shooting uh, point guard. Alan Anderson is 6'6". He's got size. And they've, they've just got people who can overpower the Heat physically in ways that the Heat don't really have. Now, again, they've got LeBron James, who's 6'9", at 270, and, you know, runs like – John Wall, but you know, other than that, they aren't they aren't a team that's built to play with a lot of other big players. They're not built to bang inside. They're built to space the floor. So if they can get the ball inside, if they can kind of you know physically overpower the Heat, I think there's a real shot there. And then the second thing you want to look at is again the offense we were talking about earlier. The San Antonio Spurs were very very close to beating the Heat last year because of that really really great motion offense and the way they played LeBron James defensively. And if the Nets have any semblance of an offense like the San Antonio Spurs which knowing Jason Kidd, I think they will, I think they have a real shot at sneaking a couple of games away from the Heat. Now, I'd still say the Heat are the favorites, like I said, but, you know, there's, if anything, anything is possible. You know, if anyone thought of that, it's Kevin Garnett. So, you know, this, they are definitely equipped to give them a series. Whether or not they win is, you know, we'll find out, hopefully, in, uh, in May. Well, Devin, uh, I, I think most fans, other than Heat fans, would, would agree with you and hope that the Nets are able to, uh, to derail the Heat and avoid uh, three straight uh, Miami titles. Devin, thanks a lot for coming on with us. You got it, guys. Thanks, Devin. That was Devin Carpertian, managing editor of the Brooklyn Game website. And you know what? They keep saying the same thing about Andre Kirilenko. We keep hearing how valuable he is. And it makes total sense because it almost seems like nobody was concentrating on him in the free agent market. And then the Nets scooped him up late, and now he's a huge part of their team. Well, you know, the NBA looked into it because he took a lot less money than he made last year to come to Brooklyn. But he knew he wanted to win a title. You know, obviously the, the Russian connection with Mikhail Prokhorov helps. But he's been a starter his whole career, and now he's kind of in a six-man, seventh-man, eighth-man, you know, depending on, on how matchups or foul trouble or what happens. It's a new role for him, but he can excel because he is – you know, I, I asked the, the Nets on Yes broadcast team the same question about Kirilenko, too. He's one of those guys that has that mentality and can do everything because he's used to being on the floor for key minutes his entire career. I mean, he really could be the linchpin of that bench. As they go, he goes. And as he go, they go. And I know I asked Devin uh, about the identity of the team. And I, I've heard a lot of people talking about the Nets' identity and that they were kind of soulless last year. So I tend to think it's actually kind of important. And we've seen so many teams, sport to sport, kind of create a team in the offseason. And, and, and by team, I mean just a selection of good players. Now, what, when they become a team is either a few games in or it never happens. And with some teams like the Blue Jays last season, they created a team and they never became a team. And so I know it's a different sport. 
But that, I would say, is a worry for the Nets. Do they come together? Can they all play together? Darren Williams has never played with guys like Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. He's never had the ability to pass to that many All-Stars in one starting five while also having to pay attention to his own abilities as as a scorer. So we'll see what happens. And that's one of the questions I want to ask our next guest, which is Blake Shear. We've had her on a few times before. Blake, nice to nice to have you on with us again. My first question is what I've just been talking about for about a minute now. The vibe of this team, is this a team yet? Do, from what you've seen, preseason, practices, just general interactions, is this a team yet? Or do you think that will take time like it does for, for most teams that go through this reconstruction period? First off, Totes excited to be back on the program. Totes excited to have you we're, back. We're happy that you've actually the world will now know about your abbreviations because it's a huge part of your it's a huge characteristic for you. It is. It is sort of a characteristic around here, yes. Um, but in regards to the team, I totally think I definitely think off the court they have become a team. You've seen Jason Terry take Mason Plumley to the Giants game the other night for Monday night football. The other night the Drake concert the whole team, a bunch of the members were in two suites over there. So the off-the-court the off stuff is really coming, which I think will factor into them being a team on the court. I also do think it helps that Darren played in a preseason game. That's so true. He, I uh, think that's a big point to be said. I think he scored a lot of points. I think it was 11 in 10 minutes. So there is chemistry there, and it will build as this season goes on. You know, there's a lot of talk. You mentioned Darren Williams finally played in that preseason game, and he just added another element to the team. You know, there's a lot of talk of kind of where everybody fits in on the role, uh, or I should say with their role with the Nets. You know, who who do you see as, from from seeing the team in practice and in in the the behind-the-scenes kind of things that that not a lot of people get to see, who do you see as the guy who's like the the on-the-court key? Is it Darren Williams distributing the ball? Is it Garnett? Is it Lopez? Is it somebody on the bench? I think eventually it's going to be Darren that's going to be the key. But right now, I think it's going to be key for Kevin Garnett to really be that role model for Brooke and elevate him to the next level. Because Brooke's at that point, and I think Garnett, from what I've seen in preseason and the -the off-the-court stuff, that Kevin's really taken him underneath his wing. So, Blake, in, in terms of what we have to look forward to this season, what kind of cool features do we have to look forward to uh, for the Yes broadcast? Anything that you can share with us that's on tap? Yeah, so we're really excited. We're really starting to brand a lot of segments for this year's pregame show. Um, First of all, we're going to have exclusives with every player doing unique things around the city in Brooklyn, and that will definitely be coming soon. But we're doing a rookie diary with Mason that we'll see all throughout the season, um, tracking him for wherever he goes, if he's down in the D-League or if he's up with us. Um, We're doing a behind-the-velvet rope to see all the insides and cool stuff that Barclays has to offer. And we're doing a lot of stuff with the beat reporters. So you'll get access in all different levels, from players to the beat reporters to the people. We're there every game. You know, that's one of the actual cool things, I guess, to say about it, about the Nets. As much like the Yankees with their top affiliates kind of right nearby, Springfield's only a couple-hour drive from Stanford and just another hour or so from Brooklyn. So really, Mason even if he is in the D-League, isn't going to be that far away from the team most of the time, right? Couldn't agree more, especially with Doug Overton taking over as coach. He's been part of the Nets organization for as long as I can remember as some facet of the team, and he's really pretty close with his coaching staff. So I think that will help even if he's not in Brooklyn. There'll still be someone talking to the coaches on a constant basis about him. 
Well, Blake, thanks again for coming on with us. We, we'd love to have you as kind of a regular as we go on with the show. I don't know if you know this, but this is our 10th episode, so we're kind of proud Mazel. of that right now. Congrats. I don't want to brag. I don't want to, you know, come off that way, but we're pretty psyched. And, and so thanks, thanks again for coming on with us. And a big congrats on being put on iTunes, boys. Hey, mm. thank you. Thank you. Yes. All right. Talk to you that. soon. Thanks, Blake. Bye. And that was uh, Blake Shear of the Yes Network, a producer here, one of the Nets insiders, if you will, on our team. Uh, and we, we hope to see a lot of great stuff from the Nets on Yes team, the broadcast this year. Uh, definitely going to be, as we've said all along, it's definitely going to be a fun and interesting season. So we're going to keep it fun and interesting on the network and on YesNetwork.com as well. Uh, Doug? After those three uh, three sets of opinions, I guess it's time for you and I to lay down the law and, and kind of give the people what they want. They want to know what you and I think. That's why they're listening to this podcast still. So uh, what do you think? The Nets, go. I think the Nets win the division. I think the Nets are the four seed, and I think the Knicks are the five seed. I think the Nets struggle with injuries and struggle at the beginning of the season. And I think they win their first round matchup. Um, but I think the Nets eventually lose to Chicago or Miami in the playoffs. I don't see them beating either team. I'm going to half agree with you, two-thirds agree with you, I guess. Um, Like just about everybody, including the NBA GMs, I'm going on the Brooklyn wins the Atlantic Division train. I think they're going to sneak into the three because I think Chicago, and this is a little bit based on what we saw on Tuesday night too, but I think Chicago is going to struggle a little bit at the beginning getting their rhythm back uh, with D. Rose. It's going to take him a few games to get back into the flow of things. I think the Nets sneak into the three. I think they get a tough matchup in the first round. Uh, against, you know, whether it be Milwaukee, maybe Cleveland or Detroit sneaks in there, somebody, even if it's the Knicks, if the Knicks fall down to the six, going to be a tough matchup. I think the playoffs all depend on how matchups go. I agree with you in that I don't think they can beat Miami in a seven-game series unless something is up. A lot of people didn't think anyone could beat the Thunder in a seven-game series, and then Russell Westbrook tore his knee up, and Memphis ended up going to the conference finals. But I do think they can beat Chicago. I think with the heart, the toughness, they know what they were lacking last year. They took them to seven without D. Rose. The Bulls have added Derrick Rose back. The Nets have added so much more firepower that I think this year they will be able to get over that Chicago hump at least. And realistically, in a seven-game series, I think Miami is the only obstacle keeping them from winning the Eastern Conference. And if they somehow beat Miami and make it to the finals i got to say the only team I think that has a shot at beating them is a fully healthy Oklahoma City squad. If they do happen to stay healthy, I agree. I think that they have more firepower and could beat basically anybody. But if they're unhealthy and if they're very limited, that's where it's you start to wonder, well, how much are the, even those acquisitions going to matter? I agree they're a deeper team, but in the playoffs you only end up using seven or eight guys right. for the majority of the game. But that's where that bench is going to come in because they have a guy, even if he hasn't played a lot in the playoffs, that if something happens to Garnett or Pierce, he can kind of step right in. Reggie Evans can step right back into that role. Kirilenko can. I mean, even Alan Anderson had a really good season last year in Toronto, so he's, well, remember, he's the 11th man on this team, realistically. They, I, I totally agree. I think the are going to be a very, very good team and a very much improved team. But remember that if the guys they acquired don't step up, the team that they had last year was not a winning formula. Nope. So they need the new guys to step up. Well, the time for the conjecture has ended. 
the season opener Wednesday night, the home opener Friday night against those Miami Heat. So right away they have a litmus test to see exactly how well they match up, at least in the early going, with the two-time defending NBA champions and possible best player on the planet in one Mr. LeBron James. Exhale, and that's going to do it for our Brooklyn Nets preview. Speaking of which, Doug, it's been a quite interesting and fun last good portion of an hour. And now the time for talking is done. Tune in to Yes on Wednesday night for the season opener. Tune in to Yes or come out to Barclays Center on Friday night to see him face the Heat. And get ready because it is Nets time. Basketball is back. Hashtag Nets on Yes, kids. (laughs) That's going to do it for us. I am Lou DiPietro. He is Doug Williams. We will hopefully see you on Friday with a little bit of fun surprise from the Barclays Center. And we will definitely see you next week on the Yes Men. Until then. Enjoy the end of the World Series. Enjoy the beginning of basketball. Enjoy the end of Daylight Savings Time and Halloween. We'll see you next time.